Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Wherefore, the law is holy. So is there any problem with the law? Apparently not. It's holy. And the commandment, holy and just and good. Notice in verse 12, it doesn't say wherefore the law was holy. (laughs) Now it's just kind of, well, no, it is right now, today, currently, holy. Commandment, holy and just and good. So then what's the problem? Well, verse number 13. What then, that which is good, I'm sorry, was then that which is good made death unto me? In other words, is there a problem with the law? The answer comes back, God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me. So sin's the problem by that which is good. What what is he referring to when he says, under the, Holy Spirit's inspiration when he says, by that which is good. Well, verse 12, the law, the commandment, which was good. And then it finished that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Sin is the problem. In this verse, sin worketh death, not the law. The law shows you what is killing you. And that is why the law is important. When you go to the doctor, he takes an x-ray and he reveals to you what's killing you. He takes a CAT scan or an MRI or any of this stuff, the, the ultrasound, all of these things that the medical profession uses to show you what your problem is and what my problem is. That's the law. And so is there a problem with the law? Absolutely not. The problem lies with us. And so it's a big big difference and a clear contrast. Uh, Look at verse number 14. For we know that the law was spiritual, but now it's kind of outdated. No, is spiritual. Right now, currently, in the present moment, It's culturally relevant, (laughs) and it is what it says it is, spiritual. But here comes the contrast. I am carnal, sold under sin. Law is spiritual, man is carnal. Problem isn't with the law, it's with man. If you have a spiritual problem, if I have a spiritual problem, it isn't the law's fault, it's my fault. Or some other sinner's fault. (laughs) But it's not the law's problem. Because the law is spiritual. Psalms chapter number 19. Sometimes we read the Bible as it's written. But we practice it as if it was outdated. And as if it doesn't have any current cultural relevance. Uh, Psalms chapter number 19. The law of the Lord was perfect. But it doesn't say was perfect. Like we looked at in Romans 7, it says it is perfect. 
And we read it as it's written, but sometimes we don't practice our lives as the Bible's written. Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord, is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord were right. No, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. All of the verses that we read, none of them are written to us in a past tense in the sense that, well, it was for a time, it was for a culture. No, we can glean truth from it now. God's law is right now today perfect. When people get a glimpse of the law, they get a glimpse of who they are. Who was the law made for? First Timothy. Who was the law made for? First Timothy chapter number one. The law was made for us to see or to show us that we are not good. But we know, first Timothy chapter number one, that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Do you know what the law was? Okay, if you're saved, what the law was to you, it, it was a schoolmaster. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. That's what it was. Okay? You've been taken to school. <laughs> verse 25, it says, now you're no longer under a schoolmaster. Did a whole series in the whole book of Galatians we really pulled out a lot of these truths about what the law is and how it should be used. We saw it as a schoolmaster made to take people to school and teach them and show them that they're the problem. No problem with the law. Man is the problem. Some of the problems or the main problems that we run into in Christianity, the main one is uh, liberal churches or I'm kind of searching for a word to call it, churches that do not make a distinction between the nation of Israel and then the New Testament church. And when that distinction is not made, we always end up with a works-based salvation. You'll always end up with it in one way, shape, or another. And the works never includes 100, 100% obedience to 100% of the laws. It's always, well, some laws, but we don't have to keep these laws. And we're going to keep these laws, but none of us can really keep them 100% of the time. And so it never, ever works. And when you start switching promises that God gave to one group of people and, and placing them in a requirement for another group of people where they were never given to, we get a problem. The simple example, I guess, to get this in a picture in our mind is that uh, if, if we went down to the square and we saw somebody building an ark, and we said to him, hey, man, why are you building an ark? He, well, I read it in the Bible. God said to, to build an ark. Well, he, yeah, he, he did, but you know who he said that to? 
Now, that's an extreme example I'm using to draw out a greater truth. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. We've got to rightly divide the word of truth so we're not misapplying truths. People take the truths of the Bible, but when they misapply them, we come up with different different ideas. Those that do rightly divide and they make a distinction between the church and between the nation of Israel. The problem that uh, has inculcated a lot of Christianity is that they use the law, not lawfully. They use it to scare people into obeying it. Preachers get frustrated because, you know, the members aren't living a holy life. They're not living by God's commands. They are living carnal. And so even though that frustration is there, we don't get an allowance to now use the law unlawfully and scare people into living for God. (laughs) Because that doesn't work. That's not what God wants. Threatening people to live for God doesn't work. It doesn't work. We are not called to govern the New Testament church by bringing all of the members under the law. The pastor isn't a king of Israel. He's a servant. So, you know, Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Well, the pastor, he's not an Old Testament prophet and he's not a king of Israel. That was given for the nation. Don't mess with the king. Don't mess with the prophets. Now, you can use that in the New Testament church to scare people and not being able to approach the preacher but it's misapplying truth to try to coerce people into doing something that they really don't want to do. Let me show you this in 1 John, if you could turn there. 1 John chapter number 2. Are you saved this evening? Amen. Okay, you're anointed. (laughs) You you are the anointed. Okay, 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is true and no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. When you got saved, you got the anointing. And it ain't going to go away. And you ain't going to get it from a preacher or a priest, or a denomination, or anything, you got it. And you don't need, look, there's a balance. God gave the church pastors and teachers. So in one sense, God is saying, look, the church needs those that have the gift of preaching and teaching. We need that. But then at the same time, he says, look, you've got the anointing. You can read the Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit. Both are there. 
And the ideal church is a church where the preaching of the word has the preeminence and Jesus Christ is the head and the people can follow the preacher in the Bible and they have the same Holy Spirit that the preacher does. And they can read and learn things the same way. And you know why that's so important? I've known preachers that have testified to me. I I started way too early. <laughs> yeah, so what was your biggest mistake? I started way too early. If I could do it all over again, I would have paused. <laughs> and then others say, you know, I just, Terry, started too late. Started too late. And some aspects of, 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 of where I'm at personally, by way of personal testimony, kind of feel like it started too late. But you know why it's so important? Why I'm saying that is because what am I going to preach? 20 years? 30 years? Who's going to take over the work? If only one man has the anointing, if only one man <laughs> can give you the Bible, well, we're sunk. We need someone or someones that can teach the word of God so that the work of the Lord can go on. That's why we want men to learn the Bible, and women too. We need Sunday school teachers. We need witnesses out in public. But we want you to learn the word of God so you know the word of God just as well or better than the pastor. I'm not threatened in any way. If you know something that I don't, I want to know it. Does it? And that happens by not trying to coerce somebody. I'm going to, I'm really going to make you go out and witness. Somebody don't want to witness, they're not going to witness. Somebody don't want to give, they're not going to give. You can't strong arm people into living for the Lord. And it doesn't matter what. The reason is, I'll give you an example. You, you, you talk to churches, ministries, missionaries. We all have the same problem. I mean, if you're like me, don't you want to do like 10 times more than what we're doing now? <laughs> we just don't have 10 times the money. It's like, you know, you want to get the parking lot repaved. You want to redo the front. You want to put in a new carpet. You want to redo all that. You want to... <laughs> Well, we, just, we only need 30000 <laughs> I mean, don't you want to do more than what we're doing? Well, you don't get people to give more by telling them they're cursed of God if they don't tithe. <laughs> you're going to give them, you're going to get them to do something that their heart isn't into doing, and that squelches the ministry. That's taking, trying to get people to tithe and telling them, you're cursed to God because Malachi 3 says, you know, you're robbing God. Bless God, he's going to curse you if you don't give and amen. And it might preach and it might get people motivated to give because they're afraid of you. <laughs> but that's not what Malachi 3 is talking about. And by the way, none of us tithe. You go, I'll send you the, we'll do it, uh, when I send the update of the email, I'll send you the link with tithing. 
And you, you can you can listen to all that. But we're not called to tithe. That's an Old Testament. That's an Old Testament deal. You listen to the message, but it's a, it's an example. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. We don't run a New Testament church by putting people under the law. A message we did this morning. How would I put somebody under, under the law? Any one of you that's caught with a Santa Claus, you can't be a member, amen. <laughs> now, where do you get that? Not from the Bible. Look, you can preach against stuff. You can show people the contrast between the counterfeit and the real thing. But when you try to start putting people into bondage, God says, hey, quit that. Quit that. You can't do it. I did tell Josiah, though, after church, say, well, we're going. We're going to be pulling in church parking lot, seeing if any of them have Santa's coming out. We're going <laughs> to. I was kidding them, but you can't do that. You can't do that. Colossians chapter 2. We should read the Bible. Believe the Bible. And obey the Bible. And pray that others would do the same. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse number 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. His circumcision was without hands. This idea that you need to, we went through all this in Galatians, this idea you need to be circumcised to be saved. Well, that would, number one, mean only males can be saved. <laughs> number two, Christ did a circumcision without hands. So you don't need to keep a law to be right with God. You can never keep 100% of the law anyway, not 100% of the time and not 100% of the laws. In putting up, okay, so verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of man. Nope, the operation of God. God did a spiritual operation who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That's all those laws and commandments and ordinances and statutes that the lost man can't keep. Christ blotted it out. You were under a schoolmaster. You were in bondage. Which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. That means if you're following the Daniel diet, you can't come in and try to put the whole church house in bondage under the Daniel diet. I know Dan, whoever wrote the book, and if you want to follow it for physical 
dietary help, go ahead. But because you're trying to follow the Levitical law in, in Leviticus 11, fine if you want to do that for physical purposes, but you can't come in and say, y'all are out of line. You, you're not following Leviticus chapter number 11. You can't be right with God. Only me and my family are right with God because we follow Leviticus chapter 11. Except you and your family aren't right with God. <laughs> because you're trying to bring people under bondage to obey, number one, a law that wasn't even given to a Gentile. <laughs> and number two, our whole message of salvation is by grace through faith. Now come and learn the Bible and let the grace of God live in your heart. And it should be evidence as the Holy Spirit works in you. We obviously know the outward changes. We don't need the law. Romans chapter six. Do we or don't we need the law to keep people from sinning? Romans 6. Romans chapter number 6. Verse number 14. Romans 6, 14. For sin uh, shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. That's for the saved child of God. Verse number 11, dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You see the contrast of what you can yield to. Verse number 13 gives you two roads, two yield signs. And you can either yield one way or you can yield the other way. God isn't going to close the road down. He's going to offer you a better way. And he's going to say, take my way. It's always better. Titus 2. Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter 2, verse number 14. The Bible says, speaking of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You and I aren't going to do good works on our own. We need someone that will purify us. And that's the Lord. A peculiar people. Zealous of good works. We're redeemed. We don't need the law to keep from sinning. We've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's purified us. Give us a pure heart. Pure desires. We just need to yield to that. Galatians 5. Uh, and John 8, Galatians 5 and John 8. Galatians 5 and John 8. 
Galatians 5 said, says, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Galatians chapter 5. You're not under the law if you be led by the Spirit. So what are you led by? What are you what are you yielding to? We've been redeemed. We have the Holy Spirit that we can be led by. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 36. John 8, 36. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Are you redeemed? You are if you're saved. Do you have the Holy Spirit? You are if you're saved. You can yield to and be led by the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You're free. You don't have to serve sin anymore. Let's go back to Romans chapter 6 and 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Romans 6. And 1 Corinthians 9. Romans 6 and 1 Corinthians 9. Romans 6, look at verse number 15. We'll do Romans 6 first, verse 15. I'll start verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, but you're under the law. But you're not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. You ever hear somebody say that to you? Well, what are you Christians saying? You're, you're saved by grace, so you can just live however? You know how many times we've probably all heard that in our lifetime? Well, you just go to this passage and God gives the answer. No, God forbid. That's not what we're saying. That's not what we're putting forth. It's just what they hear. It's just what they hear. As if the life they've been living and the commandments and the laws they've been trying to keep have been good. Nah, they're not. Now look, watch, watch Romans, uh, watch First Corinthians nine. Now, this whole thing's loaded. We'll try to do one verse here. Watch what Paul says under the Holy Spirit in verse number twenty-one: "To them that are without law, comma, who would that be? That would be the Gentiles. That would not be the Jews." Who are under Mosaic law. To them that are without law. Gentiles. As without law. In other words. Paul is not trying to get Gentiles. Who were never under the law to begin with. To start practicing those laws. And those ordinances and those commands. As. To them that are without law. As without law. Watch now what it says in the quotes. Being not without law to God. Paul's saying, well, Paul's not saying there's no law. 
law to God. He's not saying he's not saying he lives his life without any regard for law or command. Because we don't violate the moral law of God, which is all written in our hearts. And Paul is not disregarding all law. He's saying there's a higher law that we are bound by, and that's the law of God. And it says at the end, but not being without law to God, but under the law of Christ. Gentile, Paul's saying here, do you want to obey Christ? Do you want to obey God? In other words, that is what Paul was governed by. As the Holy Spirit, he's redeemed by the Holy Spirit led by the Holy Spirit, and so he yielded himself to that and therefore is fulfilling the law of God and the law of Christ. And Paul never, ever, one time, ever argues or views the law or being saved by grace as a license to sin. He never regards it like that. Antinomianism will say that. Well, there's no law. Just throw it all. That's not what we believe. Paul was duty bound by the law of gratitude to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. When you have an overwhelming law of gratitude written in your heart because of what Christ did for you, you will want to obey his commands. We're all saved by grace through faith. We don't want to weaken that foundation by trying trying to add law keeping to govern a New Testament church. And that's why we're not going to do that. Uh, Galatians, what was the problem? Judaizers were coming, trying to convince Paul's converts that, well, you need to go back to circumcision. And, and you know, you all know we've been through all that. Well, what was the, What was the thing on that? Well, if you're a Jew. <laughs> and you're back in Galatia. And Paul's got some Gentile converts. You can pretty much be a spiritual giant if you can flaunt your circumcision. Because none of the Gentiles had it. This is what we were talking about the other week. We're not trying to exalt one gift over another gift. Somebody has Santa or doesn't have Santa. Is somebody more saved than somebody else? No. It's the same Holy Spirit. Now, you can argue for one position or another. You go, somebody has a tree or doesn't have a tree. Well, somebody's more saved or more spiritual than the other person? No. When you get saved, you get a full tank of Holy Spirit just like I get a full tank of Holy Spirit. <laughs> Now, if we're led by the Holy Spirit, we yield to the Holy Spirit. What have you found out in your life? You take away stuff and you add stuff. And then you take away some more stuff and then you add some other stuff. And that's called Christian growth. That's the walk of the believer as we grow in grace, not by being put under the thumb of a preacher who thinks he's an Old Testament king or prophet. Okay, 
<clears throat> okay, we got a, we got a few more verses, and I think you'll like I think you'll like them all. Acts chapter fifteen. I had his family come one time, and every just every conversation that I had with them, I never brought it up, but they always brought it up. Clothing, the way they dress, and witnessing the way they witness, which doesn't include doing any of the outreaches that the church does. <laughs> and every time I said, "What? Well, that's great. Keep doing what you're doing," you know, I, I bring it every time, and then. When they realize that they're not going to make headway and get the preacher to be on board preaching that everybody's got to dress that way, there's the rub. I'm not trying to rub anybody the wrong way. What I'm saying is if there isn't liberty and freedom for people to grow in the Lord, then all you're trying to do is put people in bondage. And just because a preacher or a dad or a Christian mom gets frustrated, because her children aren't living for the Lord. And just because a preacher might get frustrated because, I mean, Paul was, it? did you read the book of First Corinthians? <laughs> if anybody would have an excuse to start putting a thumb down on people, it'd be Paul. But he didn't because he understood grace. Did that keep Paul from letting them have it? Did that keep Paul from him preaching against sin? It didn't, but he wasn't armbarring people into submission. Does that make sense? And the mark of a Pharisee and a legalist is they just can't function unless they have it exactly the way that they want. It. And not a one of us are ever going to get that. And if you're married, you already know, we already know that. The wife isn't going to get exactly what she wants. Us as husbands, we just convince her that, that she will. The husband isn't going to get everything that he wants. The children aren't going to get everything they want. It's the same in a church family. But I'm telling you, Paul got along. Paul stayed. Paul prayed. And Paul let them have it about sin when they needed it. And you know what they did? They stayed. I don't like what the preacher said. Okay. Was it in the Bible? Then pray about it and chew on it. Was it out of line and out of the and, and not in the Bible? Okay, then, you know, we talk through it and I'll get in line. <laughs> but we have to know that nobody is going to get everything they want. In Acts 15, verse 24, Acts 15, oh, uh, for as much, uh, for as much, Acts 15, we there, verse 24, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us, having troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, 
ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we have given we have gave no such commandment and people that try to force the hand you know you know what they're called troublemakers they're subverting souls and it's the subverting it's the overturning of the foundation which causes the foundation to just wash away it was a problem paul was dealing with in galatia it's the issue that's being talked about they, they leave after they've troubled you with some words and subverted your soul. You must do it the way I do it, or you're not. You must be circumcised. You must. You must. You must. The only thing you must be is born again. You're born again and come learn the Bible from someone who's imperfect and a sinner and got saved the same way you did. <laughs> you know, the toughest thing is. New Testament church is keeping people in unity because for some reason people just like this unity and praise God I thank him for it and I thank him for you for you all because it's just a good sweet spirit here and I've been told before you're a lot to handle <laughs> Uh, and I understand that. I understand that. But as much as I might be a lot to handle or it's just too much, it's too much to think about, too much to deal with. We try to magnify the Lord and get everybody's nose in the book. Because if you fall in love with the author of the book, your life will improve regardless of an imperfect creature. That doesn't make all the right calls at all the right times. Doesn't have the right responses every single time. You can't. You can't. It's impossible. It's impossible. So that's Acts fifteen. We'll do two or three more. Get First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter number one. First Timothy chapter number one, verse number four. Neither give heed to fables, you know, like Sam and, and endless genealogies. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. It's fresh in my mind. Which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now watch this. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. And of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. The law isn't the problem, people are the problem. You know what the end of the law is? You know what the end of the commandment is? Charity. You see charity used over 20 times. Every single time it is in specific reference. To believers, charity is a special kind of love amongst brothers and sisters in Christ that isn't shared with the world. Charity is the end of the commandment. The end was not and is not the letter of the law. 
You don't arrive by the letter of the law. If anybody arrives, it's the end of the commandment is charity. Charity. And if not, which some have been sure of, have turned aside into vain jangling. Vain is just worthless. And jangle is just a noisy dispute. It's all it is, just jangling. It's a sound of quarreling. You read the doc, people read the doctrinal statement, they see what we believe, and they're not required to believe what we believe. But somehow, some people think it's a requirement to come and force the preacher to get on board what they believe, and if the preacher doesn't get on board what they believe, they leave. Why? You say you love our church. You say you love our people. You say you love the preacher. You say you love the preaching. You say you love the outreaches. But there's one or two little things. Is it worth? When you look at. When you look at. American Christianity as a whole. And you see that churches have gone so far astray. And you can bring 50 or 60 indictments against them. Charity is the end of the law. We should love each other in spite of each other. And I know that none of us are putting forth the fact that none of us have it all all right. None of us do. There's some foundational and doctrinal things that we all agree with that we're not moving from or there's going to be a problem. And there's a time and a place for that. But there's no problem with the law. Problem is with people and they can't see the end of the law, which is charity. I don't want to be a church that loses focus of charity. 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 Brother or sister has a need, fill the need. Don't, well, they don't see this the way we do, and they don't see this how I do, and they, they, well, I think they should have done more of this, and I think they should have done less of this. And I stop. The end of the law is charity. Law isn't a problem. People are the problem. Verse number seven. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. When you have this desire to be a teacher of the law, it by default seems to remove the desire for charity, which is the end of the law. They desire to be teachers of the law. Now, they understood the law. What they didn't understand was what they say, <laughs> nor whereof they affirm. Pharisees know the law very, very well. They understand it upside down and inside out. But what they didn't know, they had no, it just was glossed right over them. They didn't get it. But they had no problem interpreting the law. The problem was they desired to teach the law and bring New Testament born again Christians under the law. And they've been saved by grace through faith. The law just showed them who they were. Now they're not under the schoolmaster anymore because they've been taken to school. and They've been shown what they are. You and I aren't under the Mosaic law. We're in Christ. Last verse and we are done. Romans 10. Romans 10. <clears throat> Verse number three. 
We'll finish with this. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone that believeth. You must believe. You want to be born again, you've got to believe and you'll get. God will impute his righteousness and credit it to your account. In the meantime, if we go around trying to establish our own righteousness and putting people under the bondage of law, it's not going to work. It won't work in the New Testament church. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.